You're listening to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Exhibit B. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Well, who would have thought we're back for uh, Exhibit B of the Bowman of the Yard podcast? Who would have thought it? Here we are. I certainly didn't, yeah. Um, Now, I suppose we ought to introduce ourselves. You are... Peter Crouch. Now, I did have an email this week saying, um, uh, shouldn't you be calling it That Other Peter Crouch Podcast? (laughs) That might be a good idea. Just to avoid any confusion. Uh, And I'm Richard James, and here we are again in the Silver Cross pub in Whitehall, where we like to uh, record our podcasts. Uh, Peter, we've made a a bit of an effort this time, haven't we? We certainly have. Uh, We've dressed for the occasion. Yes, you're looking resplendent. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm, I'm wearing my frock coat, my wing collar shirt, yes. and my uh, silk top hat. Yes, that's right. And is it a little uh, fob watch you've got there? I can see the chain on your waistcoat there. It's looking oh, very fetching. Glad you noticed it sparkling in the light. Now, I think I, I might have overdone it a bit. And I think I might be sticking out a bit you know, like a sore thumb in my uh, Inverness cape and, and deerstalker hat. What, what do you think? Seem to be getting some funny looks. Well, I can imagine you would get some funny looks, but probably jealousy because you look splendid. Oh, absolutely splendid. I feel like I've turned up in fancy dress, <laughs> but there we are. So here we are for the Bowman of the Yard podcast, Exhibit B. Uh, thank you all for joining us again. Uh, now, Peter, uh, I'm going to throw this over to you. Are you in any position to tell us what on earth is coming up in this podcast? Well, we have all the usual features such as the news, mm-hmm. letters to the yard, and we've also got an author in the cells at Bow Street. Uh, so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about who that might be? Authors, uh, it's interesting this, seem to love their initials. Last time we had T.E. Hodden. Uh, this month we've got T.G. Campbell in the cells at Bow Street, so we'll be hearing from her a little later on. I'm rather hoping that next month we're going to have J.R. Hardley. <laughs> Definitely. Fly Fishing and Intrigue. Now, there's a podcast all on its own. I'd subscribe to that. Now, also, we've got coming up the second part of the Smithfield murder, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So that's the first uh, Bowman's Casebook short story, the Smithfield murder. Uh, I'm serialising that, so do hang on to the very end of this podcast and you'll hear uh, part two uh, of that. Now, I uh, received a little fact this week that I thought was quite astounding. Did you know that the South Yorkshire Police headquarters is based in... Let's be Avenue. <laughs> no, that's true. I, I did see that actually. I, I came up on a on a Twitter feed or something, and I thought that that can't be true. Yeah, it was. But the QILs, they wouldn't lie to us, would they? Yeah. Anyway, we, look, we're getting wildly off topic now. Let's have some Bowman of the Yard news. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Uh, Well, the big news, of course, is that since we last met, uh, The Body in the Trees, uh, the third story in the Bowman of the Yard series, has been released. And I'm uh, delighted and rather chuffed to report that uh, on the day of release, it reached number one in the Victorian detective rankings uh, for Kindle. So thank you so much to everyone who bought it. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the third instalment in the story. Well, I know that many of you are because you've been telling me, leaving me lovely reviews and emailing me and so on. Uh, So if you are enjoying it, the best and greatest and most wonderful thing you can do is uh, to leave a review. Wherever the store is, uh, Amazon or uh, maybe it's Kobo or or Nook, Barnes & Noble, uh, leave a lovely review and star rating to let everyone else know exactly how much you're enjoying it. Have you started it yet, Peter? I have, yes. Just, yeah? just recently. Uh, very much enjoying it. A trip to Larton. How lovely. That, well, that's right. Exactly. A bit of fresh air. It's quite nice, isn't it? Yes. Also, Peter, have you ever appeared in a book? Well, 
funny you should mention that, Richard, because I believe yes. that in uh, The Head in the Ice oh, yes. by my, uh, my esteemed colleague, Mr. James, that uh, there is an Inspector Crouch. Yes, that's right. W- would that have been inspired by, by me, perhaps? Hmm, possibly. I mean, I have to say, we hear of him, don't we? But we don't actually meet him, I don't think, in that instance. No. Hmm. No. Well, there's always book four in a few months' time. <gasps> Exciting. But if you at home would like to appear in the next short story from Bowman's casebook, The Camden Kidnappings, uh, well, it's on its way in February, and I'm running a little competition. All you have to do, if you're on Facebook, is head on over to facebook.com forward slash Bowman of the Yard, like that page, and then also like the pinned post at the top of that page. And that pinned post will be an invitation for you to get your name in the next short story at the Camden Kidnappings. I'll be after two names, one male, one female, and they will feature significantly in the story. Now, if you want to read the Camden Kidnappings, then that means, of course, you will have to sign up to my newsletter because only subscribers get the short stories for free. So head on over to bowmanoftheyard.co.uk, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get all four, so far, short stories for free in the first place. And then on February the 14th, Valentine's Day itself, you'll get the Camden Kidnappings, the next story from Bowman's casebook. I just did an awful lot of talking there, didn't I? You did. Are you all right? Do you need a drink, sir? Um, I think I'm all right. Did it all make sense? That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, I followed it. I'm just thinking, is there going to be a Valentine's Day sort of theme in the Camden kidnappings? No. Oh, okay. Uh, Also, uh, more news. The January sale continues. You might have noticed that the first two books, The Head in the Ice and The Devil in the Dock, have been available at £2.99. That's a pound off uh, for Kindle UK readers. Uh, January sale continues into February. Uh, Now that uh, is quite a good deal. I know lots of people have been enjoying it because it means you can download the first three books for under a tenner. So if you're a UK Kindle user, uh, search for Bowman of the Yard. You can get all three e-books for under a tenner, and that will continue throughout February as well. Uh, we've also got a competition winner coming up later in the podcast, so do stay tuned if you entered that. I asked you last time, in which fictional village uh, was the, the, the body in the trees set? Uh, we've had lots of entries, and we'll be revealing the winner a bit later on. Now, Peter, can you now read out the last item of news that you've got on your script? Vix Nix. Now, what does that mean to you? Not a, not a lot, I have to say. It's, 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 I'm getting some visual imagery, but I'm not sure that it's relevant to what you meant. No, well, actually, I think it's very relevant because actually this pertains to an article that I saw in the I newspaper a week or so ago. Queen Victoria's knickers up for sale. Ah. Now, here's the item. Uh, clothes once worn by Queen Victoria, including a pair of her ample silk bloomers, it says here, could fetch thousands at auction. The monarch's dress, stockings, skirts and boots are among other items owned by a descendant of Victoria's official photographer. His uh, great-great-grandson now needs to make some space, so he's selling the stuff. Uh, and the clothes have a guide price of £15,000. They're going up for auction at Hanson's Auctioneers in London later this month. Now, I happen to know, actually, that was a couple of weeks ago. The auction was yesterday. Victoria's knickers and various other items collected the princely sum of £16,000. Goodness me. So, the official photographer had the knickers. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a whole story there, isn't there? 
I think there is, yeah. My question is, what on earth would you do with them? What would you do with a pair of Queen Victoria's knickers? I'm thinking maybe a pillowcase, I don't know, a pair of curtains. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, they're, they're mentioned as being quite ample, so, you know, maybe uh, a <laughs> sail or something. A or... sail, yes, yes, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> For a small boat, you know, a small yeah. boat. I mean, there is a chance. We do have listeners, as I, I told you earlier in the week, Peter, all over the world, from Australia to, to America and Poland and South America as well, uh, there is a chance that one of our listeners has bought... Queen Victoria's knickers Ooh. in that auction. So let us know wow. if you have, and let us know what on earth you plan to do with them. Now, I think that's about the end uh, of the Bowman of the Yard news. I think it might be time for some letters to the yard. Letters to the yard. Now, Peter, how do people get in touch with us? Well, they uh, send something in, an email usually, uh, to the podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or post it or on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash bowmanoftheyard. Yeah, it's that easy. Um, once again, we've had lots of people getting in touch. So uh, what do you have there, Peter? Yes, I've got something from Mark Turner. Uh, he says, I finally got round to reading The Head in the Ice and wanted to let you know how much I enjoyed it. Mm. I downloaded it to my phone when it was first published but it didn't get to the front of my reading list until last week. Then I read it in two sittings. Oh, crikey. I particularly enjoyed the Londonness of it all and the squalor and grandeur sitting side by side. Nothing much changes, I suppose. No, no, thanks, Mark. That's nice. No, that is true. Nothing much changes, unfortunately. And, and But uh, actually, from a writer's point of view, that's fantastic to write. That, uh, as you said there, that the squalor and the grandeur sitting side by side, that's a really attractive thing to write. Isn't that funny, though? What stuck, struck me in that email? He says, I downloaded it to my phone. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, come on, Peter. What's going on? Are people reading books on phones now? It's the modern way, isn't it? It really is. It is. And uh, hey, as long as they're reading, that's fine, of course. Uh, so, yes, do let us know where you've been reading the books. Uh, do you prefer a, a hard copy? Have you been reading on your phone or on your Kindle or on your iPad and so on? I certainly like reading a hard copy and I like reading on the train. Uh, yeah, yeah. People peeking over your shoulder and seeing what you're reading. Well, I thought I'd just, you know, like to advertise it as well, so I hold it up where everybody can see it, you know, walk up the yeah. aisle so that people can see what yeah. I'm reading. That's right, yeah, that's perfect. Of course, uh, people uh, love to download stuff to their Kindles. And I, uh, my mum recently, who's uh, who's quite old now, it has to be said, uh, has, has got herself a Kindle. She said to me very proudly, I can get 5,000 books on this. And I said, Mum, uh, you're 86? <laughs> um, you know, loving your optimism, 5,000 books? I mean, how many books does one read in a lifetime? Mm. I don't know. Well, let's get people writing in and find out. Let's, let's have some, uh, some ideas. Just as Peter Lippman did, who says, Hi, Richard. Um, a silly question, perhaps, but uh, I'd like to know what you think. He says, When reading these wonderful stories, like everyone else, I can imagine the action and settings all in my mind. They're so beautifully written. That's very kind, Peter. He says, But as you write them, do you envisage them in colour or black and white? Bearing in mind the time in which they're set, personally, he says, I can't help but see the whole thing in a mixture of black and white and a kind of sepia. I'd love to know if you feel the same. That's interesting, isn't it? That's like a, you know, do we dream in colour or do we dream in black and white? I've never really considered that before. Well, well I suppose, yeah, I think I see them in colour, but I, I can see what, uh, what what Peter means because I suppose all the photographs we see, um, any old footage, um, it, it's black and white, isn't it? So... Um, that's what you imagine, but uh, yeah, I just think that the stories are so vivid. Um, I I think I see them as a feature film or a, or a you know a TV show, sort of high definition. Um, yes, oh no, I like that. I like the film idea because uh, as I write, there are certain sections that if you've read the books, you'll be familiar with, where I sort of do play with time a bit and also uh, zoom in on things and then pull focus and zoom back again and zoom around as if I were a camera. I quite like that that kinetic sort of feeling that, that you can get when you write like that. 
It's very cinematic, isn't mm. it? Yeah, well, I like to think so. But yeah, Black and White and Sepia, it's interesting. When I look back on the books, having written them, I, I, they tend to be summed up by the kind of main colours of their of their covers. Actually, Gareth Richards, who've, who's been doing the colours for the series, has done a fantastic job. So the the head in the eyes, as you might expect, is sort of very blue and uh, chilly. Uh, and then we have the Devil in the Dock, which is green for spring, but also uh, the, the Thames, perhaps that kind of lovely dark murky green. And the body in the trees, now in the height of summer, is very vivid, bright yellow. So, funnily enough, when I think of the stories, they're the colours that kind of sum them up for me. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah, those those covers are wonderful, and uh, I particularly like. Them. The, the colour of the body of the tree in the trees, the the yellow is uh, is gorgeous. Yeah, you can always feel the heat coming off the cover, can't you? Yeah. And what do you have there, Peter? Another one, I think. Yes, uh, contacted from Joanne Bennett. Uh, she says, "Hi, Richard. I'm curious as to where you get your ideas from. Is there anything or anyone in particular that inspires you?" Uh, now that's good because. Uh, Paul Wright also got in touch on a very similar theme and said, did Arthur Conan Doyle's work inspire the setting? I'm a big fan of his, so your location and period are a great attraction for me, as well as the characters, of course. Uh, of course, yes, Arthur Conan Doyle, of course, is the inspiration. Uh, it's interesting, this thing of, of where, where do you get your ideas from? So as an actor, I'm often asked, how do you learn all those lines? And as a writer, it's always, where do you get the ideas from? <laughs> and actually, the ideas are all around us, aren't they? If you, yeah. if you look for them, I suppose. When you have an idea, I want to write a book then you just start thinking well first where is it going to be set when is it going to be set what sort of characters am I going to use how are they going to talk how are they going to look uh, what's the plot going to be uh, but absolutely uh, Arthur Conan Doyle is right up there as my biggest imp- inspiration I've got a, a battered copy of the collected short stories and novels that's been all around the country with me I've had it for years and it's sort of been a bit of a constant companion so when I thought about writing my own series I suppose it was natural I was going to set it in a, a similar time and place Yes, and I remember when you were writing The Devil in the Dock, and I think you were you were out and about, you were there on the docks, you were having a look around. So do you do that often? Do you, do you go to the locales and see what's still there? And Yeah, absolutely. That's right. I mean, as Mark Turner said in his uh, earlier email, not much has changed, actually. It's all still there. I'm toying with the idea, maybe this year or next year, of having a bit of a meet-up with some readers in London and doing the Bowman Trail, starting at the Silver Cross, of course, probably finishing at the Silver Cross as well, but heading down into the docks and... Uh, uh, and then doing a Scotland Yard and Tower Bridge, which features in the Devil in the Dock and so on, and uh, doing a few of the sights from the books. So uh, that would be great, great to see, I think. Well, there's that marvellous, marvellous moment in the Devil in the Dock. Very exciting when there, without spoiling it, there's, there's a lot of rushing around, uh, a lot of street names mentioned uh, all around the Thames, and it's really exciting and, again, cinematic. Um, that would be fantastic to sort of be around there. I, I was thinking, you know, those um, those guided tours you get in museums where you have the the um, audio recording oh, of something yes, going on at the same time. Yes. If you had something with maybe the narration of the book oh. and you were there on the streets at the same time. Oh, I like it. That's great. Maybe we could branch out into virtual reality so you could do it all from the, uh, the comfort of your own home. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So if you have any questions or comments you'd like us to consider in a future podcast, do send them into podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk or simply head on over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard, like it and uh, leave us a comment there. Uh, As I said earlier, we've got listeners in the UK, Australia, USA, South America, Poland. So um, best thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd be so kind, you can even leave a review like uh, Kiro Doyle on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts who wrote 
wonderful new podcast. If you've not read any of Richard's books, you're missing out big time. Treat yourself, which is a lovely thing. So do leave us a rating and a review and maybe even share us on your various social medias so other people get to hear us too. It's that easy, isn't it, Peter? It's very easy. Very easy indeed. Just before then, we head on to reveal our competition winner from last time. I think, uh, Peter, it might be time to hear from our sponsors. What do you think? I think it is. Let's hear from them. Royals Patent Self-Pouring Cafetiers, Kettles and Teapots. No more aching arms as the teapot has not to be lifted. Pours out the tea by simply pressing the lid as illustrated. Secures the whole strength and flavour of the tea as the water is driven through the leaves, saving 25% of tea. In Britannia Metal, Electroplate and Daltonware from 6 shillings. Illustrated price list post free with name of nearest agent from the patentee. John J. Royal, 27 King Street West, Manchester. Nearly 10,000 sold during first year of the patent. Joy Cigarettes Cure Asthma Joy Cigarettes afford immediate relief in cases of asthma, wheezing and winter cough. And a little perseverance will effect a permanent cure. Universally recommended by the most eminent physicians and medical authors. Agreeable to use, certain in their effects, and harmless in their action, they may be safely smoked by ladies and children. All chemists and stores, box of 35, two shillings and sixpence, or post free from Wilcox & Co, 239 Oxford Street, London West. Scrubs Cloudy Fluid Ammonia. Try it in your bath. Marvellous preparation. Refreshing as a Turkish bath or splendid cleansing preparation for the hair. Allays the irritation caused by mosquito bites. Restores the colour to carpets. Invaluable for toilet purposes. Removes stains and grease spots from clothing. Invigorating in hot climates and cleans plate and jewellery. Price one shilling per bottle. Scrub & Co. Guildford Street, Lambeth, London, South East. Uh, now, I have to say, they are actual Victorian adverts found uh, in Victorian newspapers from the 1890s. Interesting stuff. Very. I think I might buy some of those items. Uh, so, it's time then, I think, uh, to reveal the competition winner from uh, Exhibit A, our last podcast. If you remember, I asked you at home, uh, in which fictional village is the third book in the Bowman of the Yard series, The Body in the Trees, set? And the answer, Peter, is... The village is Larton. And Richard Burnett wins the signed copy. Yes, well done, Richard. So thanks for emailing in. And thank you to everyone else as well. Commiserations this time. But do remember that our other competition is now live. Um, if you're on Facebook, head on over to facebook.com forward slash Bowman of the Yard. Like the page and then like the pinned post at the top of the page uh, so that I get a notification of your name if you would like it to appear in the next short story, The Camden Kidnappings. So there you go. Well done, Richard Burnett. Uh, your copy will be in the post very, very shortly and will be with you uh, in pretty short order, I hope. Now, Richard, I have an interesting fact at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, I was rereading parts of The Devil in the Dock, uh, described as the explosive second in- investigation of Bowman of the Yard. Uh, very explosive, uh, definitely. And I was intrigued with um, uh, Bowman bearing arms and oh, yeah. just thinking about officers with uh, with uh, pistols, etc. Yeah. And uh, I was doing a little bit of research mm-hmm. and... 1887, the first recorded shots fired by a Met officer. Oh! Police Constable 161P Henry Owen fires six shots over the roof of a dwelling house in order to rouse occupants because it's on fire. Wow! Just thought that was an interesting fact. The first ever shots shot by a policeman were to rouse people from their slumber because the house is on fire. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think I don't think traditionally officers weren't armed, but I think night watchmen uh, were, were allowed to have weapons. I think also if you were uh, protecting a government official, uh, you could have arms. But yeah, 1887, the first recorded shots fired. So I thought that was quite interesting. Fantastic. I mean, one can't but help ask, would it not have been easier to shout? I mean, you know, get out of the house is on fire. Well, I'm thinking maybe, you know, going back to the whole night watchman thing, that maybe it was issued to this person. It was night. It was uh, a flame. Everyone was asleep. So firing six shots was the easiest way to arouse everybody to get out quick. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Peter. Right. I think it's about time we headed down into the cells at Bow Street to see which author is in there this month. You're nicked. This is outrageous. So I've come into connection with numerous crimes and strange occurrences, but I'm T.G. Campbell, an award-winning crime fiction author. It's my speciality. In actual fact, I write about a group of amateur detectives whose headquarters are close to this police station on this very street. Your Inspector Wolf upstairs knows of them as they solved a case of his, a murder on Oxford Street. He's had it in for the Bow Street Society ever since. That's their name, the group of detectives I told you about. Their clerk is Miss Rebecca Trent, a strong-willed and confident individual who's responsible for recruiting the society's members, accepting commissions on the society's behalf, and assigning members to the cases the society has been commissioned to investigate by its private clients. It could be the fact that she's a strong young woman of seemingly independent means in charge of a large group of people that irks Inspector Wolf so. Though, he's never struck me as being as narrow-minded as that. No. I think it's probably the fact a group of ordinary people use their quite ordinary skills to solve a gruesome, yet baffling case before he did. Didn't I mention that? Well, each member of the Bow Society has been recruited for a unique skill or expertise that they possess. These are derived from their everyday occupations. So, for example, the Society counts an illusionist, artist, doctor, a veterinary surgeon and even a journalist amongst his membership. Miss Trent assigns members to investigate the society's commissions based upon which of these skills or areas of expertise are acquired. As a result, different members are assigned to different cases and Miss Trent is the only one who knows identities of every society member. Was that Mr Gregory Elliott's voice I heard? Hmm, maybe not. He's a Bow Street Society member as well as an excellent criminal defence lawyer. Anyway, you may read of the Bow Street Society in my free monthly newsletter, if you wish, the Gaslight Gazette. If you visit the Bow Street Society webpage at uh, www.bowstreetsociety.com, you'll find all the details you need to subscribe. There's also a full list of Bow Street Society works, including the first full-length mystery, The Case of the Curious Client. You may also watch the book trailer for The Case of the Curious Client that are filmed in the Victorian Parlour at Milton Keynes Museum, with Sabrina Paul as Miss Becca Trent and Daniel Tull with Mr Oswald Borden from the Gaslight Gazette. Ah, here's Mr Elliot now. He'll have me released from this awful police cell in no time.
Well, thank you very much, T.G. Campbell. Uh, now, T.G. Campbell wrote her first crime fiction story at the age of 16 as a gift for her best friend. At only 40 pages long, it fell considerably short of a novel, but it did mark the beginning of a creative journey that would eventually spawn the first of the Bow Street Society mystery novels, The Case of the Curious Client. So just visit bowstreetsociety.com. You can subscribe to her newsletter there, uh, the Gaslight Gazette, where you get news about her new releases and also first look at some brand new stories as well. So thanks, T.G. Campbell, and uh, do join us next time to see which author we have banged up in the cells at Bow Street. What a wonderful gift for a best friend. Yeah, isn't that nice? A story. It's lovely, isn't it? Well, perhaps next podcast we could hear about how you got into writing and some of your early uh, editions. Early mistakes. Yeah, okay. Yes, no, absolutely. I'll make a note of that. That might be an interesting story. Time, please, gentlemen. Let's have all your glasses. Wow. Well, that flew by, didn't it? It did. Didn't have time to finish my pint. I know, exactly. That's right. Crikey. Uh, anyway, there we are. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us yet again uh, for the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Do stay tuned until the very end uh, to hear the second part of the short story from Bowman's casebook, uh, The Smithfield Murder. And, uh, well, we'll see you next time back in our favourite chairs by the fire in the Silver Cross. See you next time. Bye. The Smithfield Murder, a short story from Bowman's Casebook by Richard James, Part 2. Following the discovery of a butcher's body amongst the carcasses of Smithfield Market, Inspector Bowman is sent to investigate. How the devil did you know I'd be here? Detective Inspector Ignatius Hicks sat at the fireplace in the Silver Cross Inn, a look of incredulity on his face. His hat lay on the table before him, next to a steaming plate of kippers and a tankard of ale. He was clearly irritated at the interruption to his breakfast. A lucky hunch, sparkled Anthony Graves from the door. The sergeant was his usual ebullient self. Inspector Bowman marvelled that even on this coldest of mornings, his companion had refused to wear a hat. They had been dispatched from Scotland Yard and instructed to pick up Inspector Hicks on their way. You're to accompany us to Smithfield, Bowman growled. They found an unexpected carcass at the meat market. Graves gave Hicks the flash of a smile. Bowman, not for the first time, marvelled at how his colleague could find such sport in something so grim. Smithfield? Hicks roared loud enough to wake the landlord from his stupor at the bar. I can't go to Smithfield at this hour. Think of my constitution. Your constitution? Bowman raised his eyes to the heavens as if in silent prayer. Hicks had leaned forward conspiratorially. If he knew he was brushing his kippers with the ends of his beard, he didn't seem to care. I suffer terribly with the gas, he elucidated in hushed tones. To see such sights as they have at Smithfield would be enough to turn a man's stomach. Bowman's moustache twitched at his mouth in irritation. I would think such a man as could stomach kippers at this hour could stomach anything. Hicks threw him a look of reproach. I have a delicate digestion, Bowman, and that is that. He tried not to react to the sudden delivery of a large pile of devilled eggs at his elbow. Bowman stared at the portly inspector, his eyebrows raised almost to the brim of his hat. Eggs help, Hicks offered, meekly. Sergeant Graves, would you be so good as to settle the inspector's tab at the bar? Bowman turned on his heels to head for the door. Time is of the essence. 
Reluctantly, Hicks delved into a pocket to retrieve some change for Graves. As he leaned over to take Hicks' payment, the young sergeant plucked an egg from his plate with a cheery wink. Why is there need for so many of us? Hicks implored, shrugging on his coat. We'll need the numbers to keep the crowds at bay, Bowman explained. The market is about to get busy. Boothby, announced the market manager in his flat northern vowels. Arthur Boothby. He was an officious-looking man, marked Bowman as he shook his hand. A large white apron was tied at his waist to protect the full tweed suit he wore beneath. A cap balanced precariously on his head, beneath which jutted a pair of particularly bushy brows. His nose was flat and wide as if the result of some past altercation, and his mouth was thin and perpetually pursed in a look of disdain. A leather pouch at his side bulged with papers. Bowman took the opportunity to glance around. Smithfield Market was truly a cathedral to the carnivore. It seemed as tall as one of Brunel's greatest stations, and no less ornate. The ubiquitous London pigeon had made its home amongst the great girders that spanned the entire length of the roof, and a network of glass, wood and steel gave out to a still dark sky. The horizon, noticed Bowman, was painted with paler colours, and he fancied he could sense the imminent arrival of the morning sun. Looks like our Solomon has gone the way of William Wallace. How's that? Graves asked, nonplussed, his clear blue eyes clouded with confusion. Smithfield is the site of the old Tyburn tree. You might well be standing where William Wallace swung from the gallows, aye, and what Tyler too. Everywhere Bowman looked, he saw flesh of every sort, plucked, rolled and stuffed for consumption. Buckets of offal littered the floor, cuts of meat hung at every stall. Pigs' heads were displayed with no little ceremony amongst cuts of lamb and guinea fowl. The fetid air mixed with the smell of tobacco from Hick's habitual pipe, which he held tight in his teeth, as if it were a prize. Bowman resisted the urge to retch. Catching Hick's eye, he affected a more nonchalant air. The last thing he wanted was to show weakness to his bluff companion. The affair with the severed head in the ice had cost him dear, both in terms of his own sanity but also with his standing in the force. Bowman was becoming used to the sideways glances and whispers behind hands, but he could not bear to be exposed to Hicks. Swallowing hard, he continued, Mr Boothby, he soothed, we are here to investigate the death of Solomon Hibbert. Whilst the history lesson is engaging, it would be of greater benefit to us if we could see the body. With a barely contained snort of disappointment, Boothby adjusted the cap on his head and turned about. Number 34, he barked. That's where you'll find him, and I'll thank you to be quick. We open in twenty minutes and I won't turn trade away. How are you bearing up, Hicks? teased Graves, as they walked through the great iron arch at the market's entrance. Tolerably, Hicks mumbled, picking errant scraps of kipper from his beard. Ahead of them, the great hall was split into avenues of stalls that stretched as far as the eye could see to the left and right. Shutters were thrown open in anticipation of the day's custom. Stalls were laden with produce. Boys mopped the floors with steaming water and blocks were scrubbed and scraped. Arthur Boothby was warming to his theme as they approached stall number 34. Seven hundred years ago you'd be walking amongst the throng of Bartholomew Fair, he expounded. We like to think we're following in illustrious footsteps. Inspector Hicks cast a glance around him. 
though perhaps with fewer freaks and wire-walkers, he offered. Conscious that his other companions were only feigning interest at best, Boothby stopped and cleared his throat. Stall number 34, he announced, gesturing towards where a young boy sat on a stool. He regarded the assembled inspectors with doleful eyes. This is the lad that found him, Boothby explained, and there is the man himself. With more ceremony than Bowman felt strictly necessary, Boothby lifted an arm to point dramatically up at the rail. Inspector Bowman fought the urge to vomit. Solomon Hibbert was held suspended by a meat hook through the back of his neck. Bowman could plainly see the point of the hook protruding through the man's Adam's apple. His entire torso was caked in a sheen of blood which dripped down his arms and onto his fingers. Casting his eyes to the floor, Bowman could see Solomon's blood mixing with the sawdust. Sergeant Graves was standing next to the body now, prodding it almost playfully with his fingers. "'Has anything been moved?' Bowman asked of Boothby. "'No one has approached the body. Save the boy who found him, of course. I think his name is Archie.' Sergeant Graves had sidled up to the inspector, lowering his voice in the throng. "'Look around you, sir.' Bowman did just that. "'I see nothing, Graves. Just people going about their business.' Hawkers were filling the aisles with produce for sale, pies and pasties, raw meats and offal. Traders argued over prices, while competing stallholders gazed with envious eyes at their neighbours' displays. There's nothing out of the ordinary. Precisely so, Graves gave a knowing look. Three inspectors have just arrived from Scotland Yard to investigate a body hanging on a meat hook, and no one seems to be the least bit concerned. He cast a sad look at the ruffian on the stool. They've not even seen fit to comfort the boy. Graves was right. Aside from some sidelong glances and knowing nudges between the stallholders, their arrival had passed without interest. What does that tell us? Bowman asked. That he had no friends here? Graves offered, brightly. Bowman nodded. Inspector Hicks, speak to these men. I want to know more about Solomon Hibbert. What of his character? Did they have any dealings with the man? Boothby gave a snort of derision. I wish you luck in finding any man that had a good word for him. Inspector Hicks pulled himself up to his full height. Perhaps, Mr Boothby, I should start with you. Might I trouble you to tell me all you know of the deceased? Boothby gave an obsequious tip of his head. Ah, you might, but I'd rather do it beyond the sight of the traders. You can accompany me to my office. Excellent, Hicks smacked his lips. Then perhaps I might avail myself of a pasty on the way. Seemingly pleased to meet a kindred spirit, Boothby allowed himself a smile. Alarmingly, he exposed the greatest display of crooked teeth that Bowman had ever seen. Oh, and Inspector, Boothby turned to face Bowman as he left, you will appreciate that we open for business at seven of the clock. I would not wish our customers to face such a sight. He cast a look of distaste in the direction of Hibbert's body. Such a thing might put them off their purchases. He gave a ghastly wink. And we all have debts to pay. As Hicks led the man away, Bowman heard them fall into an easy conversation concerning the varieties of meats available and the favourable terms that might be met for a man who wished to purchase them while in the company of the market manager. Graves, barked Bowman irritably. Get that man down. 